Once again, welcome to Sunday service. It's a joy to be together and to turn our hearts and our minds toward God and to those things that will help bring us back to union with him. This morning's reading from Rays of the One Light, which are parallel passages of the Bible and Bhagavad Gita that show the similarity between these two great scriptures. These are based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, Jesus Christ tells us, him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of God, and he shall go no more out. There is a difference between church dogmas, which are based on reasoned deductions from scriptural statements, and the pronouncements of wisdom, which are based on the inner realization of scriptural truths. Reason, like a train, can only follow already existing tracks of human experience. Human memory, being short, is seldom able to cross over the threshold of a person's present existence. Biblical references to previous lifetimes on earth are overlooked in the deductive process, and we find them therefore excluded from the body of official dogma. Nevertheless, such references exist. The Bible itself presents them, <clears throat> as does Jesus Christ in this passage, not as abstract teaching, but as direct, personal experience of truth. In the same way, Krishna, in the Bhagavad Gita, silences Arjuna's reasonable doubts on the subject, not by reasoned argument, but by the frank statement contained in the fourth chapter of that great scripture. Arjuna, you and I have passed through many births. I know all of them, though you, chastiser of foes, recall them not. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh. everyone. We're very happy to be with you this morning. So we have a very interesting topic today, as you can tell from the passage from Rays of the One Light. And I'd like to begin by reading from Whispers from Eternity, one of Master's poems, perhaps one of his most beloved poems, which one might say is the pinnacle of the process of reincarnation. This is God's Boatman. I want to ply my boat many times across the gulf after death and return to Earth's shores from my home in space. 
I want to load my boat with all those waiting thirsty ones who have been left behind, that I may carry them to the opalescent pool of iridescent joy. There where my father distributes his all-desire quenching liquid peace. Oh, I will come back again and again, crossing a million crags of suffering. With bleeding feet I will come, if need be, a trillion times, as long as I know that one stray brother is left behind. I want thee, O God, that I may give thee to all. I want salvation, that I may give it to all. Free me then, O Lord, from the bondage of this body, that I may show others how they too can free themselves. I want thine everlasting happiness, but I want also to share it with others, that all my brothers may find the way to happiness forever and forever in thee. So this, these words from our great guru, the great master of self-realization, Paramahansa Yogananda, show us, one might say, the final step of reincarnation, where the soul has found freedom, but chooses to come back to help others. So when we talk about reincarnation, I think the first thing we need to ask ourselves is, is it true? Because as, as it says in the Gita, Krishna says to Arjuna, I remember my lives, but you don't. We don't, by and large, remember our past lives. And so what proof do we have that reincarnation even exists? Well, there are uh, three things that can help us. One, of course, are the words of the great masters found in the scriptures. We have quoted these two, he that Christ saying, he that overcometh, he that transcends Maya, I will make a pillar in the house of my father and he shall go out, he shall reincarnate no more. We'll talk about this more in a bit. But there are other references in the Bible. Once uh, Christ asked his disciples, who do people say I am? And they answer him, some say you are Jeremiah, some say you are Isaiah. Well, these, these are Old Testament prophets that lived thousands of years before Christ. So they're saying, people say you are Jeremiah who has come again, or Isaiah who has come again. A clear, what explanation can you have for that other than your soul has been born again? So we find in the scriptures and in the Gita too, this passage that we referred to, that uh, you don't remember your lives, but the enlightened masters do. And so this is one way we can put a foundation stone in our belief in reincarnation. Another way is the stories that we hear from children who remember very, very clearly past lives. There's a book that Swami Kriyananda had that he lent us about a young boy uh, who very clearly remembered being 
Uh, he was born after the Second World War, but very clearly remembered being a uh, pilot, a bomber pilot during the war. And he remembered everyone in his company, and he remembered the raids they went on in Europe. And he kept talking about it so much that his parents investigated. And he even said who he was. And sure enough, everything he said bore fruit. And he met, as a little boy, some of the men that were in survivors of his uh, company, military company. And he knew them. He knew their names before they even introduced themselves. So there are many stories like this. And you know, in my own life, even the little thing, when I first began talking, I was born in the Midwest of America. When I first began talking, I spoke with a British accent. And no one could figure out where I got that from. After a while, it went away. And I tuned into the way my parents and family were speaking. And it was gone. But who knows where that came from. But there are intimations from children who remember more clearly. But then there is also our own experience, not necessarily of past lives, but of our soul. When we meditate, when we maybe lose a little bit our consciousness of identity with the body and the personality and feel our own soul nature, we know that we're not limited by who we are right now. And we know that there's something about us that is eternal, that isn't defined by any particular life. And in the Bhagavad Gita, I'll just read a little bit. I could paraphrase it, but Krishna says it so much better. He says, this self is not born, nor does it perish. Self-existent, it continues its existence forever. It is birthless, eternal, changeless, and ever the same. The self is not slain when the body dies. Just as a person removes a worn-out garment and dons a new one, so the lit soul living in a physical body removes and discards it when it becomes outworn and replaces it with a new one. Weapons cannot cut the soul. Fire cannot burn it. Water cannot drown it. Wind cannot wither it away. The soul is never touched. It is immutable, all-pervading, calm, unshakable. Its existence is eternal. And so we, on some level, know this. And then when we hear about the doctrine of reincarnation, we, we don't have the clear memories, but we know on a certain level that this is not the first time we have been here. And so if we accept this doctrine for whatever reason, the principle of reincarnation, what can we do about it that's useful to our spiritual growth? Well, there are three responses. One is a superficial response, which unfortunately is not spiritually helpful. It's kind of ego-affirming. And then there's a second response, which is perhaps a little discouraging or self-defeating, thinking about mistakes we've made in the past. But then there's a third response, and we'll talk about all three of these. And this third response is, how do we use 
the thought of reincarnation as a lever to pry us out of delusion. So let's start with the first, the more superficial response. And this is for, you know, kind of people who are dabbling in, you know, metaphysics. There was a cartoon that uh, was in a magazine that showed these two kind of society ladies talking. And one was saying, oh, I just heard about reincarnation. Do you know we get to come back? As if that was a really great thing to happen. Or Swami Kriyananda used to tell the joke about <clears throat> the rich man who uh, went to a psychic past life reader to see he, who he would be in the next life so he could leave all his money to that person. Well, these are just, obviously, none of these are helpful. But then when we talk about past life readers, psychics, a number of people go to them. And the problem with that is they have varying degrees of true insight. Some of them just, you know, kind of shine you on and tell you you were, you know, the king of England or the queen of France. And what good does that do? It, again, it's just ego affirming. Oh, I was that. I was a fixed entity. It happened to be in the past, but I'm still fixed. So those kind of past life readings aren't very helpful. We've had some experience with this, Jatisha and I, with past life readers, and some of them were not helpful. They told you about past lives, but so what if you were a pioneer? You know, what, what, how does that help you to know that? On the other hand, we did have a reading that was extremely helpful. This was in India, in the city of Bangalore. You may have re heard or read uh, Swami talk about the Book of Brigu, which are ancient prophecies or uh, readings for people done many astrological charts done cast thousands of years ago. And this wasn't a book of Brigu, but it was similar to this. This was uh, from the line of Sukhdev. Book of Brigu was from a great uh, Saint Brigu. Sukhdev was also a great saint. And um, we all you, they know about you, you send your date of birth, place of birth, and time of birth, and they look and see if they have a reading for you. And so we submitted this to this man in Bangalore, and we were in India at the time, and sure enough, he had readings for us, and we went to hear him. And it was fascinating because they're written on these palm leaves, separate little leaves kind of uh, sewed together in a little wooden uh, container and uh, written in Sanskrit. And... What seemed, what made us feel this was credible was the things he told us about our present life, which he had no way of knowing about, small things, were very, very accurate for both of us, kind of remarkably so. And so we tended to give credence to things he said about past and future. And some of them were not that important. One, for example, I've always had a fascination with Egyptian artifacts. We, whenever there was an exhibit coming through uh, America, we would always go San Francisco, Los Angeles, and I would love particularly the jewelry. And so this this uh, reader, that was called the Naughty Book, this reader said to me, "In a past life, you have been. You were in ancient Egypt. You were a jeweler, and you fashioned beautiful jewelry out of." 
stones and precious metals. And it felt so right because I had that attraction. But what good does that do you? It's not very useful. But he said a couple of things that were extremely useful that he had no way of knowing. He said, for many lives, both of us had followed the same three masters, Babaji, Yogananda, and Kriyananda. And they had been our guides through many lives. That was greatly reassuring, greatly reassuring. And then he said, and this applies to all true devotees of master. He said, in this present life, your guru has been with you, guiding you, protecting you, blessing you, moment by moment. And again, that was very reassuring, very helpful. And so in these ways, these past life readings were helpful. And then we, so all of these are things that, you know, more or less uh, superficial, but we can, if we can draw some help from them, good. So another way that we can unfortunately respond to the theory of reincarnation or the principle is to get discouraged to think about, oh, sometimes people just have feelings of guilt or, or that they've done something wrong in this life. And there isn't anything that they've done in this life that accounts for it. We know a young man in Germany, a very fine young man, who is just riddled with feelings of guilt that I'm a bad person, I'm a bad person. And sometimes he even has thoughts of, doing violence to other people. He hasn't ever, but he labors under that burden. And I've often speculated that in a past life, in the most recent past life, he perhaps was a good man living in Germany and had been forced into the Nazi military movement and had had to do things that hurt others. And he bore the shame and the burden of that. And it was hurting him in this lifetime. And Swami Kriyananda tells a story of a young, of an older man who was a direct disciple of Master, who uh, had been very faithful and loyal in his discipleship. But then he was he was coming to the end of his life, and Swami Master asked Swami to go to the hospital and be with him at the time of his passing. And and in those last hours, this man kept saying oh, I've done so many bad things in this life. I've done so many bad things. And then he passed away shortly after that. And Swami came back and he told Master this. And Master said, oh, that's, that's such a shame. We need to release past impressions from the past life or even this life because they no longer define us. And Sri Teshwar says so eloquently in uh, Autobiography of a Yogi, when Master says often people would come to Sri Teshwar and feel that they were unworthy to pursue a spiritual life. And Sri Teshwar would say to them, the, dark, the vanished lives of all men are dark with many shames. All things in future will improve if we are making the right spiritual effort now. So we shouldn't let past impressions of this life or even 
if you've had a difficult life this time, maybe you've suffered under forms of abuse. We need to drop all those things. They no longer serve us. And in, I've observed in watching people over the years, devotees, people sincerely living the spiritual path, that it's as though we have many incarnations uh, compacted into one. Maybe we start out one way and then this relationship happens and then we do something else. And that, but it's like very often there are these very succinct chapters and I almost feel that the Guru's grace enables us to live many lifetimes in one lifetime so that we can get out the exeter more quickly. But in any case, we need to let go whatever we've done in the past, the vanished lives of all men are dark with many shames, you and me and everyone in this world, that everything will improve. We can let go of those if we make the right spiritual effort now. Now, finally, what can we do to make the best use of this principle of reincarnation, the best spiritual use, to use it for our own spiritual growth in the best way? Well, sort of paradoxically, the first thing is ignore the theory of reincarnation. We are here right now. This is where we stand on this very spot. Master said, life is a battle for joy every step of the way. May I fight to win the battle on the very place where I now stand. And so we need to not dismiss it, but just ignore it for a little bit. Just say, whatever I've done in the past, good, bad, or indifferent, here I am now. This is the fruit of all of it. And Gyanamata, Master's most advanced woman disciple, expressed it so beautifully in one of her letters to Master from the book God Alone. And um, I'll just read, if she's such an eloquent person, I'll, I'll just read a few, uh, the last part of the letter. Apparently someone uh, had told her about a past life that she had had with Master, and she just kind of ignored it. And then she went on, and she tells Master about it, and then she went on to conclude this way. My divine master, whatever, whoever I have been in the past, in this, the most important incarnation of all, I am Gyanamata, the work of your hands. Please pray for me that I may stand firm and unshaken to the end with reverence, gratitude, devotion, and love, but not enough, oh, not enough. Gyanamata. How beautiful. How beautiful. Whatever I am, I am, the, I am in this incarnation is the most important. And that's really true. Here we are with the grace of our great line of masters, with a profound and realized teacher like Swami Kriyananda, who has guided our lives and written so much to help us understand Master's teachings. And then the grace of the great Master, Yoganandaji, with the techniques he has brought us, with the right attitudes he has shown us, but more importantly, simply with the grace to find freedom. 
And he said, those who stick with this path to the end, not just mechanically sticking it through, but sincerely, he said, at the moment of their death, I or one of the other of our line of masters will appear and usher them into the realm of God. And there's a story you read about the life of the passing of Master's disciple, Dr. Lewis, his first one in America, and his wife, Mrs. Lewis, tells that at the very end, his face, when he was leaving the body, first it just became illumined, and then it was the face of Sri Teshwar. Just that's all she saw. And obviously, Sri Teshwar was ushering him into that realm. So right now, we can't say, oh, well, we've been on this long journey. We can uh, go a little longer. Yes, we can, but we don't need to. If we start right where we are and say, I am the fruit of your efforts, Master, right now, right where I am. And this is the, and it's true. Where we stand right now is the fruit of every past thought and experience we've ever had in thousands of incarnations. Who knows how many? And that's kind of a sobering thought, but it's also a happy thought because we have found the path to God. And then this a second point that we can talk about in useful things is to understand the continuity of our efforts because it says, again in the Gita, I won't read it, but Arjuna asked Krishna, what if I fail? What if I really try? And we often ask ourselves that question. Master, I'm giving it all I can, but I don't know that I'm going to be able to find liberation in this lifetime. What if I fail? Do I go back to square one? And, uh, and Krishna answers him with great reassurance. He said, know this. No effort is ever wasted. You will pick up, if you don't achieve your goal in this life, you will pick it up again, right where you left off. You may even be born into a family of enlightened yogis, but you will pick up the path that you've chosen. I remember once, some years ago, we were hosting, Ananda was hosting, a spiritual leader from another organization. And uh, he gave a discourse, and Swami was hosting him. <clears throat> and then they were having lunch together, and I was serving them the meal. And I was sort of standing behind them. And then Swami said these words to this other leader. This happened to be Yogi Bhajan for those of 3HO. And Swami said to him, um, look at all these young people who have come to master, to the spiritual path. He said, they would have had, he said it, and I think he was saying it for me to hear as well as for Yogi Bhajan to hear. He said, they would have had to be with master in the past to have this much ardent devotion in this lifetime. And I was just thrilled to, to hear that because I didn't, I wasn't sure. I was very new on the path. And so we pick up. This is not the first lifetime we've been with Master. Remember, he's in his vision in India, before in Ranchi school, before coming to the West, he saw a panorama of Western faces. And 
those are the ones he came to help. And even though we weren't there in his lifetime, still he is helping us through his other disciples and through his grace, which still flows. And so we need to realize that every step forward we make is an arrow in our quiver against delusion, and we don't lose it. And so just to rejoice, and if we have to come back, then we will. But we'll have gained deeper understanding, deeper uh, spiritual awareness, and we carry that with us. And then finally, going back to that first quote from the Bible, he that overcometh, I will make a pillar in my father's house, and he shall go out no more. He that overcometh, what does that mean? Not outward conquering, but overcomes delusion, overcomes any self-limiting thought, overcomes our attachments and desires. He, I will put, make a pillar in my father's house, and he shall go out no more. He will reincarnate no more. He's done. And then that's why we read God's boatman at the beginning. The pinnacle of all reincarnation is, of course, freedom. But then you look at these great souls, Christ, Master, others, who nothing in this world calls them back. No karma of their own draws them back but only deepest compassion for suffering humanity draws them back again and again, as long as there is one stray brother weeping by the wayside. Well, my friends, let's not be that one stray brother weeping by the wayside. Let's join our forces together and overcometh so that we will have no need to come back once more, or if we do, we will follow in the footsteps of the great ones before us and come back only to serve others and help them find the way to God. Through many lies I've drunk the cup of laughter No man could tell the pleasures I have known. The stars in the endless sky, if one could count, would come to billions. Yet as vast as are their numbers, so many years I've wandered far from you. Yet as vast as are their numbers, so many of sorrow.
No man could tell the bitter tears I've shed, the drops in the endless sea. If one could count, would come to billions. Yet as vast as all their numbers, so many years I've wandered far from you. Yet as fast as are their numbers, so many years I've wandered far from you. Through countless lives, I've sought your cup of sweetness, found other cups, yet thirsted evermore. The streams in the hills of time all found their way into desert every noon of bright fulfillment ere many hours did sink to evening blue every noon of bright fulfillment I long for you.